0: Okay, turn with me in your Bible to Psalm chapter 27. We are on uh, our fifth part of this uh, series we've been doing on Psalm 27. And I am uh, really enjoying my own studies on this. It's just been a really rich time for me. And I hope for you too, I hope you've been uh, engaging in uh, not just, you know, hearing what we're talking about, but actually engaging with the Lord in, in, in your in your personal time. And about these, over these specific issues, about Jesus being the center. I, I'm so moved, and I still am, over the issue of Christ as preeminent in our lives, that Jesus would be first. That's language we're used to. It's language that seems so simple and so obvious, but in a world of traffic, I mean, just... So much traffic in and out, so much input and so many uh, pursuits to actually live with Jesus as the center. What what an incredibly powerful reality and what an offensive reality that Christ would be exalted, truly exalted in our lives above everything else. So let's uh, take again a look and we're going to focus again today on Psalm 27 verse 4. I kind of thought we would be out of this series in four weeks. And the more I've studied, the, the, the longer the series gets. So just bear with me. Just got to get it out. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes you just have to get it out. You're going to get this out. But let's look again at verse four, Psalm 27. One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And this is the phrase we're we're gonna focus on again today. To behold the beauty of the Lord. To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Behold the beauty of the Lord. I was gonna do a one message on beholding beauty and inquiring. Last week I got stuck on beauty. This week we're gonna get stuck on beholding. We're just going to get stuck on beholding. We're going to stay with that. And uh, maybe next time we'll do inquiring. I think that's kind of what's on my mind. But we'll see. But I want to recap where we've been. Of course, first couple of weeks, we kind of laid out the whole chapter. And we talked about how this chapter is about having fearless confidence in the Lord. Fearless confidence in the Lord in the, in the, in the face of trials and challenges and the the worst circumstances, and that's what David is is describing here. How even with armies coming against him, he was totally uh, locked in and trusting the Lord, and in and, and interceding for the Lord's deliverance, as was his his custom, always to to declare the wonder, wonderful works the Lord had done for him. And then on the basis of God's good name and his nature and, and what he's produced in the past to then make intercessions and say, now, Lord, don't hide your face from me right now. Come, come through again. I know you will. And then in the end, at the end of the chapter, he instructs us. He says, I would have fainted if I didn't believe I'd see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. He goes, therefore, I'm telling you, be patient and wait on the Lord. If you wait on the Lord, he will renew your strength. If you wait on the Lord, he'll strengthen you. So I tell you again, wait. So we, we laid that out and talked about what it means to have fearless confidence. And that is such a critical, critical foundational reality to be confident in faith in the Lord, even in challenging circumstances. And then we talked about what one thing means to, to live a radical lifestyle of focus on Jesus and the pursuit of encounter with him as the, as the central focus of your life, that's radical, it's offensive. It takes being violent in your decisions. That doesn't mean violent with people, that just means violent with your schedule, violent with what you put your hand to, violent with the way you live your life. And that radical life of intimacy with the Lord, that one thing, lifestyle, one, one thing is the focus on intimacy, uh, of intimacy with Jesus above everything else, living that way. And then last week, we talked about the beauty of the Lord, that the centerpiece of everything is Jesus. The Lord is, the Father decided to sum everything up in one man. Ephesians 1 tells us, he said, I want to bring everything in heaven and earth together in one man, Jesus. He's the central feature of the Father's plan, the central purpose of the Father's plan is Christ glorified the, the central uh, Person of the kingdom of God is Jesus Christ. The central one that will f- uh, fulfill all your desires and satiate your soul is Jesus Christ. Jesus is it. He is the centerpiece. And actually live with him. Preeminent in our lives. It's so powerful. And I, I just, it was so I, was, I just felt like the word was just tenderizing my heart. The more I considered the scriptures about this man Jesus in whom all the deity dwells. All the deity dwells in Jesus. Father, Son, and Spirit, Godhead, dwelling in this one man. And this man, Jesus, able to say to his good friend, John, John, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the first and the last, John. The man, Christ Jesus, can say, I am the Alpha and the Omega. And then he follows it up with, don't be afraid. (laughs) I just love that. Alpha and omega in human form, and then says, and don't be afraid. It was <laughs> incredible. I mean, just the beauty of his person. I mean, just amazing. And so today I want to talk about this issue of beholding. And uh, someone uh, asked me, I, I, I said that uh, when we begin to live with a vision for the worth of Jesus, when we actually begin to perceive rightly the worth of Jesus, we'll live a lifestyle worthy of him. And, and someone asked me, they said, well, what's the formula per, for perceiving Jesus' worth? It's not a really a bad question, actually, it's a pretty good question. I said, I, I've been trying to do that my whole life. How do, how, what's the one, two, three, what's the formula for perceiving Jesus' worth, for really comprehending his worth? And the, the 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 challenge is there's not a really you can't give a one two three formula. In God, there really aren't any formulas. You know, there are there are uh, keys. There are there are things that we employ in our life practices, but you can't get the you know you know the formulaic equation. Apply it to your walk, just like. That person over there applied it to their walk and expect to get the exact same uh, results. And the reason why is God will deal with you based on what you need and he'll deal with them based on what they need. Do you know what I'm saying? Sometimes this person, they need a real boost. You know, they need a real help and they'll pray the one prayer the one time and boom, all heaven breaks loose for us. For the rest of us, (laughs) We end up, you know, a lot of times slogging in the trenches of intercession over a long period of time because there's more that's got to get worked out of us than God has to put in us. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Sometimes God will use the long uh, time of prayer and faith and, and perseverance to work out of us things that we're not even perceiving. And he'll release blessing in its time after he trains us in the course of of patient perseverance. And so you can't take the formula necessarily and apply it this way and that way. And so when it comes to comprehending Jesus' worth, I mean, that's an important thing, to comprehend, comprehend his worth, to see him as worthy. That's really important, and it will. It will transform the way we live. But what's the formula? Well, there's not one. <laughs> there's not a formula, one, two, three, that you and I can apply equally, each individual, apply the formula, now it works, it's not how it goes. But I will say this, that we get real insight into what David said. And I really think that beholding and inquiring are pretty good tip-offs when it comes to comprehending Christ and comprehending his beauty. And so these two things, beholding and inquiring, I would put those in the list of keys. Ways to live your life to understand his worth better. And that's why I want to talk about beholding him. And I think that, uh, I'll just say it this way, I think many people that have been saved a long time, they imagine that years, having been saved for years, equates to hours of having beheld the Lord. But the, the truth of the matter a lot of times is a lot of years saved doesn't actually equal a lot of hours beholding him. It equals a lot of hours doing Christianity and uh, doing uh, church or doing meetings, but that doesn't always equal a lot of hours of beholding Jesus. Good morning, I'm here. Everybody here? Okay. We are all here now. Good. In fact, it's, it's, you know, it's what they would teach you, teach you in leadership courses. Doing the same thing 20 years in a row doesn't equal necessarily 20 years of experience. You got one year of experience 20 times. And a lot of times, Christians, what they'll do is they'll just sort of get the ABCs down. They'll get the, just the basics down. Okay, we don't cuss anymore. We don't go to, you know, bad movies anymore. And, uh, hopefully we're not cheating on our taxes, you know, and on on a good day we won't lose our temper. And we just kind of live there. We're just happy people that just, you know, goody two shoes types that, you know, we're Christians. And, and, and there's not this vision of a deeper life in God. And I think, ultimately, I'm always spurring us on not to doing greater exploits in God. I'm spurring us to a deeper life in God. Because you're not going to be, he's not going to base the output of your life. He's not going to look at your exploits and go, check mark times 10 to the guy that won a million people to the Lord and check minus to the guy that only won 50 people to the Lord. What he's actually going to base it on is your obedience and response to the moving of the Spirit on your heart. You can't tell me the pastor out in, you know, Nowheresville with 20 people coming is getting less of a reward than the guy with 20,000 in his church in a metropolitan area. You can't tell me that. If they're obedient and they're saying yes and they're responding to the move of the Spirit, that ends up being the issue. And so... Here's the deal. We've got to lean in and behold Jesus unto being transformed into the same image. And and it doesn't matter so much the output. The output will come. God will make of you what he wants. And so he says in, in Ephesians 2, he's already created you in Christ Jesus for good works that he prepared beforehand for you. If you say yes to him and you continue to respond, you'll walk in whatever the good works are, whether they be huge in men's eyes or not. What, in it, what, what it really boils down to is this, are we moving past just getting sort of the, what we would think of as the basics together, which I really think are just remedial, getting, back, getting past the remedial things of Christianity and actually moving into a deeper life in God, a real reality of the kingdom come in your soul and a real abiding reality of intimacy with Jesus. And so that's why I'm always urging us. And so that's why this issue of beholding is so, so critical. To move into a deeper life. And I don't mean like I don't mean like you're unrelatable. I just mean like you're you you've got a depth in your in your soul in God. You know more than the the popular 25 verses. You know what I mean? You've got a depth with Jesus, a relationship that's that's got depth to it. So beholding him. I love this. I I started looking at this word and this thing started exploding. I couldn't believe what the what the word means. The Hebrew term, it's, it's just, it's uh, its packed full of meaning. We, we behold, we, we translate it behold or gaze primarily. That's the way the, the Bible translations ten, translate that word. We're gonna behold the beauty, we're gonna gaze on the beauty. The Hebrew word has got so much more depth than that. It's this word chaza, which I don't even, I'm not trying to pretend like I even know if I'm saying that right. But they they told me the C-H is a ch kind of sound. So chazah. And that, that word, the definition of it, is behold, envision, gaze, look. I love this one. Contemplate with pleasure. Contemplate with pleasure. And to prophesy. Now that's just, when I saw it, I went, what is that is interesting? What is this talking about? So I began to do this word study, looking at this word, chazah. And so I found out there's basically, there's four levels of meaning to this one word. We've got words just like that in the English language. You know, we've got words that mean four or five different things. Well, this one is just like that. And this word, chazah, it basically means to see and then there's four different ways that it's talking about. So I'm gonna give these to you just because this, this makes this verse explode in my mind. Hopefully it will in yours. The first level is the, the one that's the most obvious, seeing with the eye. We behold, we see. We look at something, we see it. You see me, I see you. We're beholding each other. We're seeing each other. That's just viewing And so when we're thinking of beholding, we're talking about viewing. Now, here's what I wanna say about this. Viewing with the eye. Uh, David was for sure talking about stuff he had physically seen with his eye. He, I mean, the scriptures are pretty clear as he's writing the Psalms. He says, I've seen the consummation of all perfection. Psalm 119, he goes, I've seen it. And Psalm uh, 63 he goes, I, I've seen you in the sanctuary. I've seen you in, with your glory. So David had encounters and Psalm 145. He goes, I'm gonna meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty. He, he'd seen. He'd actually physically seen. Most of us, and, I, and here's what I wanna say. I, don't wanna, I do not want to domesticate that version of seeing. I don't wanna dial it down and just say, well, it's, it's just something else. And I think there's a real seeing I've been around a few people from time to time that, that are seers. Have you ever been around a seer? It's pretty, pretty kind of strange. It's, it's pretty intense. I remember we <laughs> were in a meeting here recently this is the last few months and this, this lady who I think probably has a seer anointing, she walked to me. She said, there's a huge angel standing over there. I go like, where? She goes, well, right over there. I go, can you see him? She goes, yep. Like, Full blown? Like there? Yeah. You're looking at him? Yes. I'm like R-r-r-r. Here? Yeah. She goes, but I've she went on, she goes, I've never seen an angel like that. It's scary. Okay, I'll talk to you later. I, mean, I was like, what, is, what does that mean? We have big scary angels in our meeting. I mean, praise the Lord. But I, you know, I've met a few people who could see and they could see things. I met, I have a young man I'm friends with who, Uh, for a long time as a a young man. He prayed, he asked, Lord, for a seer's anointing. And he he will see from time to time different things. And I remember one time I said to him, I said, hey, if you ever see anything, uh, uh, let me know, (laughs) especially it has to do with me. (laughs) You ever see anything around me, I wanna know about it, good, bad, or ugly. And I remember one time I was there in the prayer room and I'm praying and he looked up and he went, oh. And I looked at him, I went, And he goes, oh. I go, oh, shut up, man. He was faking, he hadn't seen anything. He was acting like he had. (gasps) So a few months later, I walked up and I saw him and the Lord spoke to me and said, he's got a word for you. And I walked over to him, I said, hey, you got a word for me by any chance? He goes, I'm seeing something. I go, what are you seeing? He goes, you got two 25 foot angels. He goes, everywhere you go, you've got two 25 foot blue angels following you around everywhere. I went like, now? He goes, yes. I was like, I didn't know to be happy or scared. I go, really? He goes, yeah, right now. Yeah, he goes, you were walking around in the altar. I could see both of them just following you everywhere you went. So I've met a few folks that can see. And so my point is, I don't want to dial it down or domesticate what seeing is. But for most of us, this is gonna equate, it's gonna equate for us to seeing with the eyes of our faith. Most of us, that's where it's gonna land. Now there's there's a group that will see physically. They'll see things. Paul saw things. Daniel saw things. John saw things. Many do see things, but for most of us, this is gonna be more about a seeing with the eye, seeing with the eye of faith, that is. So that's the first level of beholding. We see, we see it physically, but for most of us, let's just think of seeing it with faith. The second level is you perceive it with the intelligence. That, that just simply has to do with comprehending. You physically see it, and then you comprehend it. If you were to go to the pool, you would see there's water, and then you would comprehend this is a pool. And that's how it is with God. We, we see and we comprehend certain features of God. Now, no one comprehends all there is to know about God, or all there is of God. No one, the most wise among us, is not comprehending even a, a real glimpse of God. I mean, He's infinite. You don't, you don't have comprehension of the infinite, just... Just trust me on that. But, but we do comprehend certain stuff. We comprehend in part. We see in part. That's what Paul said. So we physically see. We comprehend it with our mind. And, and, and then the third level is through experience. We see through experience. And that, that has to do with encounter. So it's like with the pool. You go to the pool. You see the water. You, 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 you comprehend it's a pool. It's a pool. And then you jump on in and you experience You see it with your, with your experiential realm. You, 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 you touch it. It's wet. It's cold or warm or whatever. You see it. You're talking to somebody and they say, oh, I, I see that. And you go, no, you don't get it. I, I'm telling you, I really do. go, No, I really do. I've experienced it as well. I really see what you're saying. You know what I'm saying? You got the person who understands because you explain it to him. Then you got the person who understands because they went through it. That's a different level of seeing. So those first three, they're basically on our side. We behold him by putting ourselves in front of him to see him, to understand him, and to begin to move into him and encounter him. But the fourth is the most interesting to me. The fourth, I want to introduce a word you may understand. It's a, it's a word you'll understand, but as it relates to prophetic, it's a term called ecstatic or ecstasis. And what it describes is in the Old Testament, prophets would actually come under the influence of the Holy Spirit to the place of they were actually, uh, they were actually being uh, uh, mouthpieces for God. They were actually being possessed, if you will, by the Holy Spirit. And so when they said, thus saith the Lord, they were dictating the heavenly stream of, of thought and revelation. You know, most of us, we kind of get a little impression and we, you know, we feel a little thing, maybe feel like it's from the Lord, we go, thus saith the Lord. And most of the time it's like, I kind of feel really, we should say it that way. We shouldn't come trumpeting, thus saith the Lord, when you kind of got a feeling, you know, got a little shadowy picture in your mind, you know, just say, well, I just kind of had a little picture. I kind of felt this. A lot of people, they get themselves in trouble by saying, thus saith the Lord and And the little feeling they had was, you know, it was the anchovy pizza they had the night before. And it's a little funny. But in the Old Testament, when those guys would say, thus saith the Lord, they weren't getting a little feeling. They were coming under ecstasis. They They were ecstatically prophesying by the Spirit of the Lord, actually speaking through them as an oracle. And so this fourth level of beholding, this is where it gets over in that definition of prophesying. We see him, we comprehend him. We encounter him, You know, just like we see the water, we understand it, we jump in, we feel it. But then there's this place where he encounters us. He encounters us, he comes on us and ministers to us and through us in a dramatic way. It would be like you and I, we show up at at, at a bonfire, we see the fire, we get it, this is a fire, it's burning stuff. We get next to him, we go, ooh, this is warm. And it moves from it being warm to the fire jumping on you and getting in you. And that's the fourth level of beholding. I tell you, I, I was sitting there going, oh, I want to behold him. I really want to behold him. And I want to propose this, that there is a fullness of beholding God that has to do with this full definition of this word. A fullness of beholding God that has to do with all four of those levels where you're perceiving him, you're understanding and comprehending, there's revelation coming, you're experiencing him, you're encountering him, and then he encounters you. You know, there's the, I've taught the, the uh, seeking God, you know, Psalm 63, I'm gonna seek him. And in here, in, in Psalm 27, David says, I will seek him. And that, and that has to do more with the inquiring, but this is the way I tell it. You know, there's a place where you're seeking God, you're seeking God, and, uh, and then there's a place where he turns and he begins to seek you. And I love how Tommy Tenney kind of gives that explanation. He gives it in his book, God Chasers. He says, you know, just like a father and a child, play chase, you know, the child chases the father around, the father's running, and the little boy's, I'm gonna get you, daddy, I'm gonna get you, daddy. And then, you know, maybe the dad disappears behind the, the, the corner, and he jumps out and he goes, ah, and he goes, I got you, daddy. He goes, no, I'm gonna get you now. And there's that place in God where you're seeking God, you're seeking God, and then he turns, and he begins to seek you. And I find I I feel like these four levels of beholding, they speak of this, this fullness of, of perceiving him, understanding, comprehending, encountering unto being encountered. And I really feel like that 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 rounds out the definition of it. Here's my here's my thought though. I think most Christians won't slow down enough to actually get the fullness of beholding. They don't slow down and they try to get it on the run. Try to get the five minute Bible or the one minute whatever or the 30 second devotional. And and I'm gonna tell you something. This doesn't happen through the one minute Bible. God bless the one minute Bible. But you know what I'm saying? This doesn't happen through the really get it on the run real fast, sort of add Jesus onto your lifestyle version of, of devotion to the Lord. This is about slowing it down Getting rid of other attractions. We manage the necessities, but we get rid of the other attractions so that we can have time to slow it down and to behold him, to drink him in, to receive from him, to comprehend him. And I, I, I don't think by any stretch that I'm like a master at beholding God. I've done a little bit, I've, I've practiced different things in my time of prayer. I spent long seasons where I would just sit before him silently for an hour or more. Just, that was just a part of my, my ritual, really, when the awakening came. That just kind of blew that out of the water. But I, I'm getting back to it again where I just sit silently to behold the Lord, to behold him. And when you do that, transformation takes place. But I'll tell you what, you've got to go through long hours of not feeling very much and not seeing very much, to get to the, the hours of sweetness. And uh, your, your mind will tell you you're wasting your time because there's many, many times I've sat there silently and all I can think about is my to-do list, the errands, the honeydew stuff I gotta do, do at home, the, the, you know, the little boys and now the little girl at home for me and, and the different things that's gotta happen and, and I'm sitting there fighting through all the traffic to just settle it. But after seasons of doing after time doing it, your, your soul would begin to settle, and you can actually draw off of heaven, you actually behold God there's many times where i 've sat there before him silently and I, and I didn 't have a specific perception i didn 't have some burning revelation or truth that was burning in my mind, but I just I just made that place to sit before him and quiet my soul and just sit there with him. And man, there's some, there's some of the most trans, transformational times just beholding God silently with very minimal fireworks, but just that, that transformational power of the spirit of God working in you. I want to say this real clear. I want to encourage everyone in this community to take time to behold God, to make time to behold God, if not daily, regularly, multiple times in a week where you're, you're just there uninterrupted without anything. Sometimes it's good to have a little pad, pencil and a pad, so that all the thoughts that are flying through your mind, your to-do, you can really get your to-do list done <laughs> in that moment because when you sit there and you try to slow down to behold God, everything you gotta do will start flying through. Just start making your to-do list. And after you get her done, you just put that to the side and you go, okay, now I'm ready. Oh, I want to behold you, Lord. I want to see you. I want to understand you. I want to encounter you. I want you to encounter me. And you just slow it down and allow the Holy Spirit to minister to your heart. There's such a transformational power to that. Ephesians 3, it's interesting to me. It's thinking about this Ephesians 3 prayer. And this is what Paul's talking about. Paul is describing the multiple levels of beholding in this Ephesians 3 prayer that that we we pray all the time. So he says in verse 14, for this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ from the whole family in heaven and earth, his name. Verse 16, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Here we go. Here's the four levels coming right now. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Seeing Christ and dwelling through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend. You see it. You comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth of height. Know the love of Christ to know, to encounter. Do you, do you see that? We, we see through faith the, the reality of the indwelling Christ. We comprehend the dimensions of love and we know, we, we experience. That's an experiential knowledge that he's talking about there. It's clearly experiential knowledge. We know, verse 19, the love of Christ, which passes knowledge that what? You would be filled with the fullness of God, spirit possession. Can you see that? It's really interesting. I think he's just I think he's just teaching it with that that Hebraic mind of beholding right there. Just laying it out for us. The the seeing, perceiving, the understanding, the encountering unto God encountering us. Beloved, this is what the Lord wants. He wants a people who will come before him. With hearts saying, I want to, I want to drink of you. I want to draw off you. I want my soul to be filled with you. I want to see you as you are. There are so many promises in the scripture about seeing God. The pure in heart shall see God. When he he appears, we'll see him, and we're gonna be like him. I mean, right now we're gonna see through a glass darkly, but then face to face, there's so much we're actually gonna see Jesus with our eyes, beloved. In fact, every eye is going to see him. You don't even have to be saved. You'll see him. When he returns, the unsaved and the saved alike are gonna see him. There's gonna be a way for even the dead outside of Christ to see him. It says even those who pierced him will see him. Everybody's gonna see the son of man enthroned on his glory. It's gonna answer every question about the truth of the the deity of the son of man. But you and I, we're not gonna only see him in one glimpse of, of a moment of terror like the lost. You and I are gonna be able to behold and gaze on the beauty of the Lord, unhindered, without veil, and without flesh that's that's obstructing us because our flesh is gonna be filled with glory and we're gonna see him and perceive him. And I tell you, oh, when we do that, we are gonna be changed. Oh, we're gonna be changed, transformed. Well, that transformational power of seeing him is available to us right now through beholding. Flip over with me to 2 Corinthians 3. I love this. Paul tells us, in Christ, the veils are taken away. 2 Corinthians 3 and 4, he explains what this whole transaction is about. In Christ, the veils are taken away from your eyes. You're able to see and perceive in a way you couldn't before. So in verse 18, he says it this way. We all, with unveiled face, beholding is in a mirror. Now, don't don't let that phrase cause you to trip. It's the exact same Paul that was writing to the exact same people. In 1 Corinthians 13, he used almost the exact same phrase. He goes, right now we see in a mirror dimly. He goes, we're beholding him as in that mirror that I told you about before. It's it's dimly right now. Our faces are unveiled and we're beholding him. He's talking about this, this process of sitting and gazing on the beauty of the Lord. I'm sure of it. He goes, as in a mirror, we're beholding him. We're beholding the glory of the Lord. He's describing what it means for believers without darkness blinding their eyes, without Satan blinding their eyes, coming before the Lord and engaging in this this process of beholding God, drawing off of God to see him, understand him, encounter him and be encountered by him. And so he says, here we are with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord. And we're being transformed into the same image. I want to propose something to you. Our five steps to this and our seven points to that and eight keys for this and that. I want to propose our, our psychology and, and, and pop psychology culture and our, our five ways to be better at this and better at that has no power compared to beholding the glory of the Lord when it comes to transforming the inner man. And you and I need our inner man transformed. We are old dogs that can't be taught new tricks. We've got to be renewed On the inside, beloved, your soul needs to be renewed by by the infilling of light and revelation. It's called the renewing of your mind. Remember Romans 12. Our mind and our soul, it's being renewed. Our spirit is completely born again. The glory of the Lord dwells in your spirit, but your soul goes through a transformation, the saving, the salvation of your soul. And the the key way is by beholding this one who's glorious. And then that glory is so powerful that it actually has effects upon you and transforms you from the inside out. I'll give you a natural example and then I'll give you a spiritual example. In the natural, if you were to decide in July to go outside and behold the glory of the sun, you decide to, you know, get in your bathing suit and maybe you wanted to even amplify it. You just lather yourself up with like baby oil. And you go behold the glory of the sun. You do it all day. Let's just imagine you do it with your eyes open somehow. That would have dramatic transformational effects upon you in a negative way. You'd be sunburned and blind. Praise the Lord. That would be really, really wow, incredibly. If you've ever had sunburn, it's like the worst. So there's the, nat- you see it. If we behold the sun for long periods of life, it will transform us. In the spirit, if you'll behold an attribute of God, this is how it works. His glory, his nature, that's, his glory speaks of more than his, vision, his, his visage. Remember we talked about that last, it's the nature, it's what he's like, it's his persona. If you be- begin to behold the attributes of God, those attributes have transformational effect upon your soul, you know how you and I become more patient? By beholding the God who is patient with you. It's amazing the power, the transformational power of beholding his glory that, that that power has on our soul. Here's how you begin to see him as the God of all patience. And the next time you begin to get impatient, you realize, oh my goodness. He's so patient. He's so patient with me. I've been such a goofball and he's been so amazingly patient. I can be patient. You know, there's there's that that drawing off of the reality of who he is, the empowering of of the, uh, the blood of Jesus to get us over sin, to get us delivered from and over sin and the power of the Holy Spirit on the inside to compel and constrain us. The love of God moving in our hearts, strengthening our inner man, and then drawing off the glory of the Lord. Focus on the attributes of God and they will begin to transform your soul. That's how this thing works. We we behold glory unto actually being, it says, changed into the same image. Changed into the same image. His nature. We, we, We begin... We begin to be partakers of the divine nature through beholding him. I'm not talking about some sort of, you just go into some weird meditative state, you don't have any scripture. I'm talking about you have the scripture in front of you, truth penetrating your heart, and then you close your eyes and consider the truth in light of Jesus. And allow the Holy Spirit to breathe on the truth of the word and your soul begins to change. Somebody, if you want it to become, if you want it to be complex and difficult and more theological, I can't do that because the scripture is simple. I remember there's there's a a guy that was in my youth group and he, he learned the answer when he was about 12 and for about two or three years, anytime I was in a small group environment with him, he would just give the answer every time. So we'd say, okay, how do you become, you know, how do you become more fired up for Jesus? And he'd say, you gotta read your Bible and pray. And we said, so how do you, how do you, you know, get to, to where you're giving generously? You go, read your Bible and pray. How do you get to where you're obeying your parents? You go, read your Bible and pray. I mean, every time. And, and the reason was, because there's really not a bigger answer than that. If you actually meditate in the word and you pray, you behold God and allow the light of the Holy Spirit to encounter you, he's right. The 12-year-old guy got it right. That, it has transformational power, beloved. It's not more complex than that. What is complex is our life. Our lives are so complex that what we do is we imagine our, our, our schedule in our life because we've got so many moving parts to be you know, unnavigable. You know, we can't get through it. And we just don't know how to do God in our life. I'll tell you what, there's about you know, a whole bunch, of, a large percentage of stuff you can go, okay, cut that off. I am going to behold God. I'm gonna behold his glory and it's gonna transform me. I'm gonna step into that transformational power of the Holy Spirit, the beholding of the glory, so my soul begins to get transformed in the same image. There's massive power available to transform your soul. Jesus, he is the one, the scripture says, he, he, in Jesus are incomparable riches, unsurpassable riches. Uh, one translation says the unfathomable riches of Jesus. You have access by his blood, you have access to the unfathomable riches. Now, I'm gonna land here. I wanna just talk for a minute about venues. How do we do this beholding of God? How do we, how, where do we line up in our, in our soul and our mind to consider God? And and I just I just do I just gave you the I'm gonna give you the four that work for me really good, and just just I there's four ways that I consider God that seem to have the greatest punch in my life in my soul. I want to give you those. You guys okay still? Okay. Anybody else okay? You guys all right? All right. There's. All sorts of ways to consider God. All sorts of ways to picture, to see him, to see him. And so I try to take an, a, 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 one of his attributes and I apply it to him and I see him through the lens of that, a, that attribute. And so the, the first one that I think about is the infinite God. I think of him as the infinite God. His infinitude is the attribute. And I go, okay, God, you're, you're infinite. Every." every part of your person extends forever in that trait of you your patience is infinite your love is infinite your kindness is infinite your justice is infinite i just i begin to work through those thoughts who he is as infinite and then i just picture the size of him i just picture the size of him I, I, there's something about when we really see how big He is, His size, His greatness, His infinite. When we see how, how how expansive He is. It, it really puts a lot in perspective. And I love to think about the the heavens. I, I'm not. I've never been a big science guy, but when I started thinking and studying a little bit stars and planets and solar systems and galaxies and universe. It just started blowing my mind about how big God is. Well, Psalm uh, Psalm 19, it says, the heavens, they declare the glory of God. You know, you think about light years and and space that just goes on and on and on. You go, man, it's kind of of a lot of wasted room out there. A lot of stars and light and planets and rocks and stuff. Well, it's big because it's declaring him It's enormous because it's declaring him. We have our little models of solar systems. You know, you can, my boys have one in the room and you have the sun and you have all the little planets and it's about this big. And that thing is so far out of scale, it's silly. Like, one time I went through it and explained how, how far away you have to be. And it's, it's like Pluto to get the scale right, you know, based on an inch is 100,000 miles. Like, Pluto's like down the street somewhere, you know. You can't do it. You can't get the scale in this much of a model. But he's, he's, he's infinite. He's, he's, he's great. I mean, he's. He's beyond comprehension. And I think of it, just his size and the, the heavens. And I begin to comprehend the, the God who says he stretched out the heavens like a curtain, Isaiah 40 says. Stretched him out like a curtain. Is he, you know, you and I, we walk to the window. We go, okay, need more sunlight. God goes, I need to make a universe. That's how, it, how hard it is for him. It takes like no effort our infinite God. I started doing a little look into this and I started studying s- the size of s- uh, stars and stuff. There's, just, you know, there's a lot of stuff out there. Suns and stars and planets. We have one solar system in our galaxy, the Milky Way. We one, one little solar system. Millions of other solar systems just in our galaxy and, and millions of galaxies in the known universe. Billions really even. Billions. Just in our galaxy, just in our galaxy, there is, a, uh, there is a sun a million times brighter than our sun, just in our galaxy. It's called Eta carinae it's a million times brighter and it produces five million times more energy. In our neighboring galaxy, there, there's a sun, that's eight point seven million times brighter than our sun. It's called R one three six A one. It's almost nine million times brighter than our sun. That's just in the galaxy next door. We, we haven't even. We can't even plumb the depths of the universe. There's millions of galaxies, beloved. He stretched it all out like a curtain. I start going, I just, I just I think about it, I go, oh my God, you're big. <laughs> you are like really big. You make suns a million times bigger than our sun, just for fun. Why would you do something? He goes, well, why would you do such a thing? He says, Because the heavens declare my glory. It declares the reality of who I am. Isn't it true of us that we get so low-minded, we get so focused on little things day in and day out? We, we make God so small. He's so huge. So I, I think about his infinity, and I say with David, I, my heart, after I begin to think about how majestic, glorious, large he is, my heart begins to resonate with David from Psalm 8. And David said this, he goes, when I consider your heavens and the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars, everything you've ordained, he goes, what is man that you're mindful of him? What's the son of man that you care about him? That's how I I go, how, how you like me? Big, huge God likes me. And I will behold his glory in that way and it transforms my soul because now I'm not getting my worth out of what anyone else says about me, about whether or not so-and-so likes me or not. I'm getting my worth out of this, that the infinite God regards me and cares about me and likes me. That's huge. So I think about the infinite God. And then I, and I think about him as the enthroned God and I could take a couple hours on this point. But Revelation 4, beloved, make Revelation 4 your habit. Make it your habit. Behold, God enthroned. He took John there for the rest of us so we could get the picture. Behold, a door standing open in heaven voice like a trumpet, it said, come up here. He goes, immediately I was in the spirit and behold, a throne set in heaven and one seated upon it. And that one was like a jasper and a sardius stone, beautiful color radiating out of him. And around the throne, there was a rainbow like an emerald. And there were 24 thrones with elders that were clothed and robed and crowned. There's, there's lamps of fire before the throne and living creatures and thunders and lightnings and voices emanating from the being of God on the throne. I tell you, you can close your eyes and you can go there. Because the writer of Hebrews tells us we've been given access through a new and living way by the blood of Jesus to come boldly to the throne of grace to receive grace and mercy to help in time of need. I need it all the time. And I behold the one on the throne. Oh, and I just, I just, I, I my, my soul gets calibrated to what's real. You know why? Because eternity is written on my heart. See, as much as I enjoyed my boys winning the football game yesterday and a wonderful Falcons game, I, that whole thing was in perspective for me. I told my children, I said, "Listen, guys." I told him on Friday, I said, you know what? You're gonna play for the championship tomorrow. I said, but I gotta tell you something. It's the championship of 32 teams. Now that's a lot of teams, but that's nothing compared to everything. That's a great little championship. It's a great little team. I want you to win it. I said, but you're already champions. And here's why. Jesus Christ won the victory over death, hell, and the grave. And you said yes to being on his team. You're already champions. So whether you win or lose tomorrow, you're already winners. I said, it'd be nice to get this little championship, but it's nothing compared to the big one, which you've already won. And I said, guys, go out there and play like the champions you are. Guys, we put, we've got to put this life in perspective because there's a much broader reality in the infinite God who is enthroned on glory. And that place where he's enthroned, it's the centerpiece of all created order. And you and I have access not just to be there, but to interface with him, to receive of his glory and to inquire. So I meditate on the enthroned God the infinite God, the enthroned God. And then I think about the incarnate God. First Timothy 3, verse 6. Great is the mystery of God who became, he was manifested in the flesh. And I take in my mind, I go, that big God who made everything became a baby. It was carried around by a woman in her womb for nine months. That big God was nursed on a woman's breast. That big God had diapers. I mean, I just, I just, I just can't believe it. He became a man. He became a man. Why would you do, why would you humiliate yourself that way? Because of love. And behold that god that became a man i think about the man christ jesus and his emotions and his feelings and him having friends and they're talking and john putting his head on his breast and judas betraying him and how many times even the good guys even peter you know denying him and just the challenges and and the times when they didn't have faith and the times they did and the ups and downs that he experienced as a man Though being in the form of God, he didn't, he didn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he humbled himself, made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bond servant. And I go, oh my goodness, you, infinite God, Alpha and Omega, you came not to uh, be served, but to serve. To give your life as a ransom for many. And behold that. And then, I think about the indwelling God. That God is actually dwelling in me. The God of the universe. The God enthroned in Revelation 4. The God who became a man for love. That God didn't want to just shake hands with me. He wanted to live inside me. He wanted to possess my spirit. And flood my soul. I behold the indwelling Christ, the fire that's inside. I consider the mystery, this mystery of Christ in you. That's what he said. It's a mystery that's been hidden from age, ages past. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Oh, beloved, beloved, the infinite God who is the enthroned God. He became the incarnate God that He could be the indwelling God. So I'm just, It'll just undo you. That's what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to undo you. It's supposed to shock your senses. He is supposed to be the center of your attention, the center of your affection. I want to behold him. I want to drink of him. I want to draw him into myself. I want to live this lifestyle. I don't want someone else's story of beholding God. Hear me, don't be satisfied with someone else's story of beholding God. Go in yourself. Allow him to transform you. I love it. The infinite God is the enthroned God. He became the incarnate God. So he could be the indwelling God inside of you. So that's it. We behold beauty. We behold God. We drink God in to the transformation of our souls. Good. Amen.